Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. Additionally, I founded the consultancy P&N Pricing and Negotiations in Healthcare based in Toronto, Canada, which supports companies and individuals globally by coaching, simulations and training, especially on negotiations. This service is including our innovative virtual reality simulation program and is part of the Negotiation Lab. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. When thinking about North America, most people obviously and firstly think about the United States of America. But even more north, there is another country, Canada. And obviously, that is also a very interesting one from a healthcare systems perspective. I think quite interestingly, um, I would say the Canadians were at least one of the very first countries which implemented a real health technology assessment that was done with the so-called CADETH, uh, which is following as well evidence-based medicine criteria and has already implemented very early on cost per quality or cost effectiveness analysis in their decision making. On top, Canada is also very interesting to, let's say, follow from a European's perspective when just seeing that there is a huge country with different provinces and that each of the provinces are as well still acting, let's say, at least in a way independently, meaning that there is also a pan-Canadian assessment on top. And that is already as well very interestingly reviewed, for example, when considering the EU joint clinical assessment, which is being introduced towards the end of 2024, beginning of 2025. So there are different aspects to consider when especially thinking about that kind of episode. And I think at the end of the day, it's also very important that when thinking about the process in Canada, we need as well to think not only about the evidence-based criteria, I think that's quite clear, randomized controlled trials are wanted, a comparison against um, a decomparator in Canada. But even there, there might be already some difficulties when thinking about the different provinces. We will not cover that so much today. We'll first to focus a bit to understand and explain the, the, the range and the different kind of process and, and institutions in there. We will also introduce CADES versus INES. INES is the assessment body in Quebec. And then we're covering and going a bit further into the details of the price negotiation, which is also very special and very interesting when comparing that, for example, to other healthcare systems in Canada. For that discussion, I have invited three great ladies from International Market Access Consulting based in Zurich, but they are also originally, and some of them are even located in Canada. First of all, there's the founder and the president of International Market Access Consulting, Louise Perrault. I think she has a lot of experience, especially from an international global um, perspective. She has also worked at Novartis, at Amgen, at different kind of large, big pharmaceutical companies and has created a consultancy already some times ago. Additionally, we have Melanie Davis. She is, as she is saying, a passionate healthcare leader, and indeed she is, and is now also working since roughly two years for IMAC before she has also worked, for example, for Medtronic, but also for Bart Canada and for Johnson & Johnson in Canada. 
And finally, we have Nicole Tunstall. She's already working close to nine years at International Market Access Consulting and has a really great knowledge about the Canadian system from a submission down to a pricing perspective. Okay, very good. Good morning, good afternoon uh, to a group, to a team uh, sitting and located, at least usually in Canada, Louise, Melanie, Nicole. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, um, but just to correct you, Stefan, I'm not usually sitting in Montreal. I'm usually sitting in Switzerland. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, okay, that's fine. But, you know, it, it was a good kind of, let's say, move into the topic, right? Because we want to discuss <laughs> about Canada today. So <laughs> that was the kind of idea. But I take it, um, you know, <laughs> Louise is normally located in Switzerland and sometimes she's also in Canada. And uh, I mean, she has as well a very good knowledge about the Canadian healthcare system as Melanie and Nicole as well. So perfect. Thank you, Stefan. <laughs> perfect. Very good. So let's just move and uh, jump directly into the topic. I think the idea is really to discuss today about um, pricing and reimbursement um, in the Canadian healthcare system. I think we'll have a special focus today on, on drugs. So we keep the medical devices out there. I think that's even a bit more complex as far as I understand in Canada. I think, um, you know, if if I would look basically as a European on the Canadian healthcare system, I would rather say, you know, the system is maybe a bit of a mix between uh, UK NICE, especially with cost effectiveness and cost per quality, and maybe the, you know, the upcoming EU joint HTA, right, with the different countries and, and in Canada, you have the different territories. Um, could you just quickly introduce maybe everybody else as well to the system more on a top level basis? Sure, absolutely. So, in Canada, uh, Health Canada is the agency, the federal agency responsible for approving the co commercialization of the product. Um, but once that is completed, uh, there are two major agencies that review reimbursement submissions. And the first one is CADETH, the Canadian Agency for Drugs and Technologies in Health. Their mandate is to review the, the pan-Canadian um, reimbursement uh, HTA submission. However, there is also a second agency that is specific for the province of Quebec, and that is INES, which is the Institut National d'Excellence en Santé et Services Sociaux. Uh, apologies for my accent. <laughs> um, both, uh, you know, CADETH was founded in, in 1989 and is under the purview of federal, provincial, and the territories. Um, and INES was founded a bit later in 2011, and they are responsible mainly for the province of Quebec. I mean, that, that, that's quite interesting. I mean, you know, when I hear pan-Canadian, I would be thinking that Canada is, is, let's say, covering all Canada. And then we have something special for Quebec. And then you're saying as well that INES was even just founded a couple of years ago, so roughly 10 years ago, right? So, I mean, has then Quebec been covered by CADETH beforehand, or what was that kind of development there? Oh, this is this is just the, the reflection of our very complicated uh, political aspect in Canada, and especially in Quebec. Uh, in fact, CADETH covers all the different provinces, the territories, and uh, the federal government, and uh, uh, Quebec decided not to participate in this, in this initiative. So Quebec is actually excluded of CADET, 
and has their own HTA agency to review uh, drugs. And this is mainly what happens in almost everything in Canada is that Quebec is doing their own thing, um, except for, for certain things, as you will see uh, when, we, when we talk a little bit later about uh, the pricing uh, process. Okay, got you. So, but th th there is no specific, let's say, um, possibility for individual territories otherwise to basically not follow the CADET approach, right? So CADET is well, covering it, every province, just it, Quebec is separate, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. Okay. okay Only yeah. Quebec is 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 not funding because uh, CADET is a for non-profit organization that's funded by the different provinces, the territory and the federal government. And Quebec is not actually part of the funding of CADET. So they are completely separate. Got you, got you. Okay, perfect. And I mean, when you say CADET and INES, I mean, I understand that they are basically in the so-called HDA agencies, right? So pricing is then probably as well something else, especially then also the funding, right? Which might be even... A further kind of fertilizer, I guess. Absolutely. They are separate from that. So they are both reviewing uh, the, the therapeutics as HTA uh, agencies. So for the purposes of reimbursement. But they actually do, in fact, have two different mandates. Uh, CADIF will give a recommendation of that for the for the submission, which will then be considered by the different provinces, whereas Ines will give their decision essentially because they are deciding for the province of Quebec. Yeah, yeah, that's so quite... so in other in other words, CADET recommends to the provinces if they should reimburse the drug or not, and it's the provinces that that make their own decision in the end. But Quebec, because they are alone. They make the decision and they say, we list or we don't list your product. We reimburse or we don't reimburse. Yeah, got you, got you. And I mean, um, it's quite interesting because, I mean, when you say there's a recommendation, I mean, we know, for example, from UK NICE, right? NICE is also recommending, but ultimately, I would generally say, I mean, the Minister of Health is, or the NHS system generally is always following UK NICE, right? Uh, is, mm -hmm. is that the same in Canada or are there really maybe some provinces saying, you know what, I don't really care for that specific product, what uh, CADET basically said, we want to have it and hence we come maybe to an agreement with the industry? Yeah, well, I guess it depends on why, uh, what the recommendation was based on. If the recommendation, the, the recommendation for non-reimbursement was based on a clinical aspect, then um, I guess a province would probably follow whatever uh, whatever candidate says. But if the recommendation is mainly based on, on price, then it's really up to the province um, to decide what they're going to do about it. And, and then, you know, we'll talk about pricing later on with, the, with you, Stefan, on this yeah. podcast. I believe. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think that's one of the reasons as well. But maybe I think we probably need to, let's say, um, put one step after the other, right? Because yes, we all know, absolutely. I think, especially in healthcare, I mean, as, as you just exactly said it, right? The first thing is the assessment and the assessment of the clinical and or economic 
let's say evidence-based then then just after that we're going and entering to the price right. negotiation right but right. maybe we can even let's say put a bit of a further bracket around i mean could you also um quickly let us know around timelines how how fast is Canada and also ines is there a big difference i mean are there circles of uh, let's say uh, back and forth questions or is it just a, a one-off submission and then there's a decision what, what is the process there behind yeah, I mean, it's definitely a lengthy process. Uh, once the the submission has been accepted by Kedith or Ernest, um, they essentially will start the review. However, there's a caveat to that because currently there are some delays in the process. So we know that there is a several month delay for Ernest to begin their review of a submissions at this time. And they do, they do, um, let the general public know about that on their website. Um, once the the submission is made, there's a series of a few a few weeks where there's a screening period where Kenneth will come back with for clarification on certain aspects of the submission and perhaps request more information before they're able to start the review. Once you've passed through that phase, then you enter into the review phase where Kenneth will begin their review assessment. The different teams will review the different aspects of the clinical uh, efficacy and safety, as well as, I should say, the comparative clinical efficacy and safety, as well as the pharmacoeconomic analyses. Um, after that, before a final recommendation is made, there is an opportunity for interaction with the manufacturer where Kedith will issue a draft recommendation, which is not public, which the, the manufacturer then has the opportunity to reply to any of the um, uh, criticism. Um, actually, I should step one further back one step. Before the draft recommendation, there is actually the issuance of uh, um, the evidence review group report, the ERG report which the company, the manufacturer does have the opportunity then to address any um, criticisms or uh, differences that are found by the evidence review group. After that, Kedith will take those into consideration. And then there's the issuance of the draft review, which again, there is opportunity for interaction at that point um, before the final review is made public. And that's the, the review that is actually publicized on the website. And Nicole, how long exactly does this process take? Or does it vary from one drug to another, or it's it's? It does vary. Um, I think the recommendations that are made are between uh, twelve to sixteen months. And the That's... and the twelve to sixteen months is just around, let's say, the process you have just described, right? Without, let's say, <laughs> I don't know, either another a reply missing from the industry, or maybe. I guess, is that then as well, because you, you just said there's an interaction with the industry, does that mean that it, it might be a back and forth or is it just a one-off question you need to answer and then that's basically it and Karat is deciding? It's not a back and forth necessarily, but it is a series of, uh, it can come in different forms. It can be a series of clarification letters. Mm. Uh, it can come, there are distinct review opportunities after the, the evidence review group, the ERG issue their report where the manufacturer has the opportunity to respond to some of the criticisms. Just to specify in the evidence review group report, they are essentially building um, 
their own pharmacoeconomic analyses with their own assumptions that they feel are representative, which may differ from the the, um, assumptions that the manufacturer provided. Often, I mean, I think maybe always they they differ in some capacity. And at that point, the manufacturer will have the ability to make an argument for why their version um, of of the model uh, might be more appropriate. There's not a back and forth in the sense that Kadith does not it's not a conversation necessarily. However, uh, the assumption is that Kadith will take those responses under advisement as they continue their review. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. And um, I mean, just generally, because we know that from UK NICE, you can also already start in such a system with the process before you even have the indication, right? So the so the approval, yes. is that the same in Canada? And is that advisable? Would we have similar discussion currently on the EU joint HCA level, whether that, yeah. that would really make sense or not? What is your experience in Canada? So it, it's absolutely possible. With CADIF, you are able to submit six months before you anticipate receiving the notice of compliance from Health Canada. Um, and for NS, it varies. It's six months for oncology products and three months for other, for other drugs. Um, is it advisable? I would say absolutely. And Louise, please jump in as well. Um, absolutely. Uh, submitting as early as possible allows you not only to achieve reimbursement faster, um, but it also gives you the opportunity to, um, you know, respond to, to understand, uh, what potentially the barriers will be to reimbursement earlier because you'll be in the process earlier. Yeah, and there is also a new process uh, existing in Canada where you can um, apply for parallel review between Health Canada and CADET. And this is is actually a very strategic decision to make because uh, depending on the questions you expect from Health Canada, uh, you know that uh, CADET is going to be made aware of those questions if it's a parallel review so um you know it's it depends this is a re, this is a base a uh, case by case um, decision you have to make uh, there's no general rule which is which way is better to go you really have to think strategically when you are making that decision but there is also that that option in canada now yeah, no, I, yeah, I, that, that, that's really interesting. Because I mean, I, I was just thinking, I think one of the issues I would basically see if you, let's say, submit, not in a parallel, but just generally, submit before you have your approval. I mean, you don't know the exact wording of your indication, right? <laughs> if that might yeah. I mean, what, what is that happening yes. with the, especially if you're not going in parallel, right? I mean, if you probably have a yes. parallel process, I could imagine that the agencies are as well communicating, hopefully, with, with each other, right? So that's then a bit easier. But I mean, if you don't go in in parallel, I mean, that's probably kind of nightmare. And that's a discussion we currently have on the EU joint HDA as well. So is that as well the same kind of nightmare we expect? Would you have already experienced since many years in Canada? Well, the thing is that it takes quite, you know, that the process with CADET takes a while. And uh, yes, they absolutely need a final product monograph and indication before they make their recommendation. In the, it's Again, it's a case-by-case basis, but sometimes when you, um, you 
submit with Health Canada, you have a pretty good idea if your if your uh, indication is going to be challenged or not. So that has to be taken into account. Um, but most of the time, uh, three or six months before you get your Health Canada approval, you are quite clear on on what kind of indication you're going to have. So we haven't seen that many problems. It hasn't. And I remember when uh, when the discussions were that CADIT and and Health Canada would be reviewing in parallel or before NOC, the same issues were raised. But it it hasn't turned out into the big nightmare that that people expected. Interesting, interesting. That so that might already as well be a bit of a learning for all of the Europeans. <laughs> it, yes, definitely. Interesting. Okay, perfect. So I mean, if if we move a bit further, right, and we have the HTA being let's say done, and uh, we I guess the next step in terms of pricing would only be if there's a positive recommendation, right? from either CADET or INES. So, I mean, then, I mean, you know, people have maybe heard about uh, PCPA or PMPRB. Um, w- w- what are the differences? Who is responsible, responsible sorry, yes. for what? And when is that really happening? Is there a showstopper with a no recommendation? Or what are those kind of steps, especially when we think about, let's say, Pan-Canadian, Quebec, <laughs> and then the, the different individual um, uh, um, uh, provinces? Well, first, I think we should clarify that PMPRB and PCPA are are completely separate processes. So uh, PMPRB uh, is mainly concerned with the maximum pricing that can be charged for a product based on they do an assessment with uh, kind of 11 other countries in order to find an average price. Um, PCPA is the agency that are responsible for taking the recommendation from CADES and negotiating on behalf of the provinces. So as we said before, CADES issues a recommendation that may or may not be, um, the provinces may or may not decide to list the drug in their province. And we've seen that before where there are differences in the provincial formularies for different products. You know, patients in one province may not have access to reimbursed treatment in British Columbia, but they do have access in Ontario. So there are differences. It's not an automatic, like we said, it's not an automatic that all provinces would engage. The normal pathway uh, is that when once CADIF issues a positive recommendation, PCPA then will be aware of that recommendation and will send a letter of intent to the manufacturer indicating uh, the lead province for the negotiation. And and uh, and this will be the essentially the start of the negotiation process. In the PCPA, there are a, two uh, negotiation pathways. There is a targeted negotiation process, and then there's the regular pathway. Um, they don't issue any kind of guidance on what uh, what therapeutics will be considered for the targeted negotiation process. But in this process, there are kind of more strict guidelines for how quickly the the negotiation process will proceed. So there's a shorter period of time for consideration of each step of the negotiation, essentially. In the regular pathway, 
it's still the same, essentially the same process for negotiation, but there's not the same kind of time demarcation on the negotiation process, and therefore it might last longer. Um, essentially, the PCPA, the at the provincial level, there is no further consideration of the, of the clinical components of the assessment. So at this point, they've accepted, as Louise mentioned earlier, they've accepted CADIS recommendation of the evaluation of the comparative clinical efficacy and safety. At this point, they're essentially negotiating the volume of, of the um, product that they anticipate will be used by the public and the listing criteria. So as we one step that we haven't mentioned yet is that when CADIS gives their recommendation, they also give uh, a recommendation of a what they believe to be an appropriate discount to the list price. Um, this can range all the way, you know, from nothing from zero to we've seen even 99% recommended discount. So obviously at this point, um, manufacturers are entering the negotiation at a bit of a disadvantage because they've already had one recommendation come forward of, of a price discount. However, having said that, where there are key things, key aspects of the negotiation are with the listing criteria um, and the volume that will be sold. And this is where there can be um, some room to discuss a pricing structure that might be more amenable to the, to the different uh, manufacturers. Interesting. I mean, you just mentioned that there is an initial recommendation for price discounts then that then really simply based on the cost effectiveness analysis yes. or are there other factors as well taken into account at that stage well for the CADIS submission we you do submit a full pharmacoeconomic analysis so cost effect cost utility or cost effectiveness mm -hmm. uh, model mm -hmm. as well as a pan-canadian budget impact model mm -hmm. so for each province there is an assessment of the budget impact of listing the therapeutic but, and CADIS obviously will take all of this under consideration when they make a recommendation. But in their recommendation, it's a very general recommendation of a discount. It's not meant, it does not take into consideration the necessarily the criteria, the aspects in the different provinces in terms of what their the budget allotment is for this uh, indication um, or anything like that. It's just across the board, a recommendation of a discount. And it is based mainly on the pharmacoeconomic analysis. I mean, I mean, I mean it's it's quite interesting because I mean, you know, if if I imagine, let's see, there are really different territories in Canada, right? In terms mm -hmm. of let's say infrastructure, population, etc. So you know, if you just simply take the let's say the approach of a budget impact, I mean, that is already let's say quite different, right? So I could imagine that maybe a province with let's say a, a quite small population. Um, with maybe a bit of a, let's say, healthy economic situation, they could maybe still say, look, I mean, I want to have that product, maybe even with generally, and not telling to the industry, obviously, uh, with a bit of a less, let's say, and not that high of a, of a discount. Is that really as well something which then been taken into account? Are also industry maybe, let's say, moving in that strategic way from one territory to the other? Or is, let's say, the political landscape ready uh, let's say that established that they know how to play the game even better than the industry. Yeah. So well, just sorry, I'll just clarify one 
one aspect, when the pan-Canadian budget is an assessment of the budget impact in each province. So it does yeah. take into consideration the population, the um, the impact on, on some of our, say, for example, some of our smaller provinces. Um, what I wanted to say, Stefan, is that in, in ultimately, it's up to a province or a territory to decide if they are going to reimburse a product and at what price they will reimburse it. So that it ultimately the decision is with them. So as you said, if a province can afford this new product and uh, has decided that they, they they want to pay more, they can. But that that's exactly. One of the industries, um, I would, I should say, maybe frustration is that if they have to negotiate a lower price with all the other provinces, of course, the province that would be willing to pay more would will not pay more because they will see exactly. that the prices are lower in the other. So why would you pay more? So so PCPA kind of eliminated this type of opportunity. And we should say that Quebec um, is part of PCPA, right? That we haven't mentioned yet. It's not part of CADET, but it is part of PCPA and decided to, to go with it. And Quebec has a law that dictates that Quebec will get the lowest price in Canada. So when you set your price and you negotiate your price with Quebec, uh, you're pretty much tied to that price in the other provinces. Yeah. So uh, going to Cadet or Ines at first is also somewhat of a strategic decision. Uh, and all this in the end has impact on your pricing. Yeah, that, uh, yeah that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you also mentioned beforehand, let's say, listing criteria. And besides, let's say, price volume, which I think makes anyway sense. But I mean... Listing right here, is that maybe as well something that, you know, you could, for example, agree that the product is only available with given, uh, I don't know, experienced expert centers or expert physicians or only after a second opinion by another physician, as we know from any other kind of, uh, let's say, systems? Or is that e maybe even broader or maybe even more narrow to see? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It includes the the situations that you mentioned, and it also includes, for example, um, a province, or there may be a negotiation for the the therapeutic to come a second line uh, after failure on a, another reimbursed um, therapeutic, and this may differ from the indication that was evaluated by Cadith, because, like we said, in the specific provinces, there are differences in in the off in the um, formularies, and they might have a they might uh, negotiate something specific to a certain formulary in a sense. So, and there also um, there are other programs in both pan-Canadian and in Ines for, um, in, in Ines it's called patient d'exception in Canada is a restricted listing um, that there a certain criteria must be met before the, there can be prescribed. So there are different, different aspects of the listing criteria that still need to be negotiated at the provincial level and that can make a difference on the pricing negotiation. Got you, got you. That's quite interesting. I mean, what you also said, I think the, the process is clearly after the recommendation by Caris slash Ines, um, and um, the clinical discussion is no more happening, right? So that's basically 
accepted as recommended or not recommended. Is that then maybe as well the kind of point that you would, as an industry, need to submit further and other kind of documents and packages uh, before the negotiation? For example, I think you mentioned country baskets or different kind of prices from the from uh, from different uh, countries. Is that maybe as well an updated budget impact model available or possible, or is it really just whatever you have submitted to the let's say HCA organization? You would basically need to resubmit, and then that is taken into account, and then the negotiation basically starts more from, let's say, the uh, in that way, uh, the PCPA side before industry could even react? Or how, how, would, how could I basically uh, foresee that more from a real tactical perspective? If I'm on the ground, what, what are those kind of next steps? And also, I mean, yes. is it all in written or is that also a possibility of a face-to-face discussion? So in terms of the submission uh, process after CADE, each province does have uh, requirements for um, what they would like to see. Most provinces ask for essentially the same submission that was sent to Cadet. Um, some provinces, including Alberta, Manitoba, and Ontario, have their own forms uh, um, and uh, analyses that need to be filled out for both the pharmacoeconomic analyses and the budget impact. Um, and they, these are essentially just similarly based to the to the budget impact that would have been submitted to Cadet, but with perhaps some. Pro- provincial um, tweaks that may not have been considered in the in the um, pan-Canadian assessment. Um, and once, once that process, once all the submissions have gone out to the different provinces, at the same time, as I said, PCPA has issued the letter of intent, and then they'll move forward with the negotiation at that point. Um, generally, there is uh, an initial meeting where the manufacturer has, you know, the opportunity to present some information. But after that, what we've seen, and, and we should we should specify that not every case is different. So it's not, this is just kind of a generalized description of what might happen, but every case is very different. After that, the negotiation proceeds and it, uh, mainly in, in terms of offers and counter offers. Got you. Interesting, interesting. Um... And that is probably the same with, let's say, in the case there's no recommendation. I could imagine that just the discount requests and the position of, let's say, the payer side is just stronger, right? So in the case of a non-recommendation, it's quite interesting. Um, there is an opportunity with the PCPA for what they call an unsolicited offer and that or unsolicited submission or, or request. And that is uh, what a manufacturer would do in the case of a negative recommendation if they want to move forward with negotiation with the provinces. Now, having said that, I think, uh, you know, it's difficult to assess what chance there is with a negative recommendation from Cadet, um, especially if the negative recommendation was based on clinical efficacy or safety, mm-hmm. uh, comparative clinical efficacy and safety. And we should highlight that while Health Canada assesses the efficacy and safety of the product for commercialization processes, the agencies are interested in the comparative value clinical uh, efficacy and safety value. And if there is a negative recommendation from CADIS based on, on a clinical perspective, it's a very difficult road ahead to go through negotiation process because as we said, the provinces don't evaluate clinical. Therefore, there's no, there cannot be a change in that recommendation at the, at the provincial level. Yeah, no, I I could imagine that this is probably the most difficult one. I mean... We have spoken a bit about the process and a lot of details there already. 
Um, towards the end of the discussion, um, when we would think about, let's say, the probabilities of being successful in the different steps, right? First with the HDA, with Carleton Innes, and then also later on with, let's say, an acceptable price from an industry perspective. We all know that that, that might mm-hmm. vary heavily. That's quite clear. But I mean, if I would, let's say, have a look on Canada from a global perspective, right? Having Europe on the one hand side, the US on the other hand side, and uh, then all of the other countries, let's say somewhere between, like like Australia, and then obviously as well Canada. How, how would you, let's say, but just in general, as you said beforehand, every case is different, but just in general, how are the success rates, let's say, for the first step with the HDA submission, and then especially also for the second step to find a an acceptable price range within the system in Canada? I don't know the answer to this question. Quite yeah. frankly, I, think. <laughs> I have interpreted um, the silence in that way. <laughs> yes. Well, it all depends on how you define success, yeah. really. I mean, we have, um, we certainly try, you know, tell our clients that we have a very high uh, success rate with our submissions. And that's always the question we get from our clients. Well, how do you define uh, success? Uh, if you define success as having a, a positive recommendation, that the uh, the probability of success is probably rather, I would say maybe in the, and, and, and I may be wrong, but probably in the 50, 60% rate. But then uh, with the criteria, the limiting criteria that are very often stated by CADET, like first line, second line, uh, maybe a company would see this as, as not very successful if you're, if, you're, if you're recommended in third line instead of second line or first line. So, uh, you know, it's all a matter. And, and if you get a niche patient population, of, a, a, a subgroup of, uh, of patients, instead of getting the whole range of patients, you know, in the very severe and not in the severe and moderate, then it all depends how you see success. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, you, you, you have your cadet recommendation, then you come to PCPA and things again may change about the line of, uh, <laughs> so it's very difficult even to define what success is in that case. So I would, I don't have an answer to your question, quite frankly. Yeah, no worries. I was not really expecting to have clear numbers, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. yeah. I think the important thing is probably, I think, as, as you try to say, right, you need to have, as for every other system as well, a very proper planning, a strategic yeah, planning and assessment ready beforehand, how to move, when to move, and which ways to move. And I think it starts really very early, as you said, it, it starts right, let's say, when to submit even, right? I mean, there are different opportunities well, there. Yeah, I would even say it starts even earlier than that. Um, it starts when you're designing your clinical trial. Of course, yes, of course, yeah. Absolutely, because, you know, there's so many things that you can include in your clinical yeah. trials that's going to uh, to um, to help you to gain reimbursement. And sometimes they're not very huge things to include in a clinical trial. Uh, We're just talking about hospitalization. You know, if you have that from your clinical trial, it may be a very very good source and very uh, credible source of data 
for yeah. your your submission, your health economics model. If you have quality of life in your clinical trial, if you're targeting a, or if you have pre-planned an analysis in the right subgroup of patients, the credibility of this analysis will be so much more so much stronger with the with the the HTA authority. So there's all kinds of different things that you can do very early on. But if you haven't done that very early on, there's also different tips uh, and there's different ways that you can actually catch up and try to patch, uh, you know, what hasn't been done early enough. Like you, you can generate data, you can do database analysis, chart reviews, um, all kinds of different things. Yeah. Um, but um uh, yeah, the, the, and then, you know, the planning, as you were saying, the planning of, of when do you actually submit the package, it becomes quite important and, and relevant to, uh, to spend a little bit of time in, in the planning phase of that step as well. No, of course, of course. I mean, I would take that, let's say, as a kind of strategic advice for everybody who is planning to a small launch into Canada. I mean, anything else to add, Melanie, Nicole, from a, let's say, strategic um, yeah. recommendation for clients who just be thinking or companies rather be thinking about Canada and the potential submission in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think Louise made really great points. And when the key overall to think about is that when you're preparing your, your clinical program, you're not just preparing it for commercialization access. You're, you're also preparing it for reimbursement, which are very different uh, criteria. And as Louise said, if you if you haven't come to the table with everything that you need, there are ways that you can generate the data after in order to kind of meet the reimbursement criteria. But one of the key things I think that or takeaways that we see with the with the whole system in Canada is that it's very important to prepare and submit your strongest case to Cadeth because from that level down, you are affected by by the the recommendations um, in terms of from there to the end of of your listing uh, and um, re reimbursement in the pricing country. as well yes thank you in the whole country so it it starts earlier as we said it starts earlier than at the time of planning clinical trials I agree and the second thing I think that is very important is that the preparation for the submissions themselves are key to what will happen in the future success of, of the product yeah. in Canada. Very good, very good. I think that was um, quite good, let's say summary, especially when planning to go towards Canada. I think we have learned a lot. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we could probably speak for another couple of hours because we have still not covered a lot of other kind of different things, but I'm sure we hear each other again also um, on one of the upcoming podcast episodes. So first of all, thank you all. It was a great discussion. And hope to hear and see you soon. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. So as we have heard, the process in Canada is quite complex. It starts already with the different provinces and the different processes around that. We have Cadet and we have Ines. Cadet as a pan-Canadian, but excluding Quebec. I think that's very important to keep that in mind. Cadet is coming up with a recommendation, very similar to what people might know from UK NICE. So it's not a way that the final ultimate decision makers need to follow. In this way, it's the provinces, whereas the INES is not only recommending, they're finally deciding 
on the way if a product should be included in the package, so in the funding or not. That is then the basis for the next step, which is the pricing. And even there, we have the PMPRB, as we have you heard. They are deciding on the maximum pricing, and that is also including a country basket, different countries included to have that maximum price. And after that, we have the PCPA. They are as a kind of province, and there's a lead province, and also leading the different and individual negotiations, um, negotiating then the ultimate price for reimbursement. The basis for that is the recommendation and or decision from credit and or INES. And finally, there are also different kind of criteria being taken into consideration, like price volume, different listing criteria, different discount. And the interesting thing is obvious as well, the initial discount is being call it recommended by, for example, Cadiz, which is then also and only based on the health economic models, meaning the cost effectiveness and the pharmacoeconomic budget impact analysis. Ultimately, I think that's very important. I think that's also what you have heard already. It is a very important step to plan for, not only for a Canadian submission, but ultimately, I think, as you have heard, the, there is quite big complexity in the system. Hence, you would need to start early on in planning if you want to launch into Canada with a pharmaceutical drug, meaning also already planning when to submit, what to submit. And I think as Louise pointed out at the very end, you need to really get in with the best evidence package at the very early beginning, because from the careth assessment, it's only going down. And finally, you have going down that pathway, you have the ultimate price down. That was an episode of MAP, the market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.